4: St. Louis and surrounding areas. You are listening to another edition of at your service right here on KMOX. By the way, great choice of a song there because roll with the changes. Uh, yeah, I think this baseball town would like uh, maybe the Cardinals organization to roll with some changes right now. But I somewhat digress here. But uh, bear with me. We're going to get into a kind of a personal anecdotal story regarding our beloved St. Louis Cardinals who are really struggling. But first, by way of introduction, my name is Dave Simons, who occasionally gets to uh, fill in on uh, At Your Service shows. In fact, I was here last Thursday and um, got invited to come down here again and loving every minute of it. By day, I am a certified financial planner, or CFP among friends, um, heading up the Simons and Cortis Wealth Management Group here in the St. Louis area. Um, but like I said, occasionally I do get to spread my wings and, um, and get invited down here and fill in for at your service and uh, talk about a lot of things. And, and we are going to discuss a lot of pertinent and timely issues tonight. And that starts us off with a little bit of a, a, a personal story. It is Sunday, October 25th, 1987. Does anyone have any clue what might have happened That night, Sunday, October 25th, 1987. Think Cardinals. That's sort of the theme here. Some of you have clued in right away. Oh, okay. Well, if you're saying Cardinals, now I get it. I I have a feeling I know what that night was. Yeah, that was game seven of the 87 World Series between the Cardinals and the Twins. And I think, uh, yep, those of us who are fans and remember, we've been around for a while. Unfortunately, we know what happened. We fell to the twins that night, four to two. And I hated that series, by the way. Couldn't stand it. It was um, the home team won every game, which I guess is fine. But I, uh, man, I got to hate that metrodome up there. Even a lot of the local people up there hated that thing. Uh, I was not shedding a tear when they finally t- uh, tore that thing down. But here's why I tell that story I was invited over to my girlfriend's parents' house. That night. Now, they're not big baseball fans, not huge sports fans, because we're talking rural Kansas. I was actually working in Wichita at the time, and that's where I met my then girlfriend, who just two months later in December over Christmas in 1987, I would propose. I'm actually surprised that she said yes based on what happened that night on October 25th. Here's what happened. I did say, okay, I'll I'll come and I'll stay, uh, I'll have dinner at your parents, but, you know, you're trying to score points, you think, I, I already had the ring, by the way, so I knew I was going to propose, I knew this was going to be my adopted family, had to put on the big show, right, put a smile on, I had to show up, but I told her, I said, I I, I need some compromising here, this is game seven, so after dinner, In your living room over there, you've got that television. I need to go watch this game. She said, oh, yeah, for sure. No problem. So had a great dinner, went in there. She would come in and, you know, how's it going? I said, oh, man, I can't hardly take this. They end up losing. And I'm 25 years old. I'm inconsolable. Inconsolable. Despondent. Depressed. I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want to be seen. I'm not I mean it's embarrassing to kind of look back and and remember that but it was horrible. I actually even teared up. That's how big of a Cardinals fan I have been my entire life. And here, what 35 plus years later, it really I'm sad to say hasn't changed much. So, my future wife at that point knew exactly what she was getting. And I'm, I'm that way with the blues. I'm that way with Mizzou. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tied into it. And I, I really wish I wasn't. I want to quit you. That's what I want to tell the Cardinals temporarily. I would like to quit you because it drives me crazy. But I can't. I can't. So I thought I would do a little research because I'm a data numbers geek and nerd since I do that for a living. And I've been that way ever since I was a kid. I loved math even though I would eventually become a journalism major at Mizzou before getting into finance. But I've always been a math nerd and love statistics and putting things together and looking for trends. And so I've been really scratching my head thinking, you know, what kind of history do we have here with this longtime Cardinals organization when it comes to seasons like this? I I hate when I hear people say, well, we've been spoiled. I don't know. Really? We've lost a couple of football teams we don't have an nba team i think we're deserving of some success so if it's our um, if it's our cardinals team so be it but now 5 losses in a row 15 games under 500 yeah i'm feeling that despondency again winning percentage of 0.391 we would have the worst record in the national league if it weren't for the washington nationals now they're playing tonight if they win we actually then have the worst record in the National League, by a few percentage points. So thank goodness for the Internet, because I wanted to do a little history before this show and satisfy my my numbers geekiness here. But I wanted to know, when's the last time the Cardinals organization, which has been around since 1900... And I know some of you true historians will say, well, actually, Dave, the uh, St. Louis baseball organization, that is the Cardinals, started in 18. I understand that. They were called the Browns first. Then they became the Perfectos then they became... for one season. Then they became the Cardinals in 1900. Then the Browns were resurrected as their own separate team, as you know, and joined the American I get all that. I am just starting with the year 1900, the first year they were actually called the St. Louis Cardinals, all right? That's still a pretty big sample size. So, when's the last time this organization since it's 1900 has ever finished the entire season with a winning percentage of under 40%? Remember, they're at 3.94 right now, .3 I'm sorry, .391. If they finish the season under that 4-0 mark, when's the last time? Oh, I don't know. How about 1919? Are you kidding me? It's been over 100 years since they played baseball at this clip. Now, granted, I know there's a lot of baseball left to go, and uh, I really hope that they can turn things around, but that's the last time that we saw anything like this. And I know I'm old, but I ain't that old. I wasn't around in 1919 to ever witness anything like this. Interestingly, they did not finish in last place that year in 19. That was the Phillies, winning percentage of 343. They were 47 and 90. So that's got me thinking, as I'm wont to do, and I said, "Um, when's the last time the Cardinals did actually finish then in last place? So I went all the way back to 1900 and moved forward. I kind of thought I knew the answer, and I sort of did, sort of didn't, I knew the first two decades in the 1900s and 19-teens, 10s, were not very good for the city. Five times in the first 20 years, they finished with the worst record in the National League. Now, there were only eight teams at that time. Uh, The last time they finished with the worst record, worst record in the National League, even up to today, was 1918. Remember when I said that the last time they finished under with a uh, under a forty percent winning percentage was nineteen nineteen? The year before was the last time they actually finished with the worst record in the National League in nineteen eighteen. Those were some pretty bad years. Obviously, the worst record in franchise history, and they're not going to dent this. I don't think was nineteen o three, when they were forty three and ninety four for a three one four winning percentage. I yeah, that's not going to happen. And how about in my lifetime? Well, I'm going to take a break right now, come back and just talk about the last 60 years, a couple more statistical uh, factoids for you, and then we'll move on to some other things. But um, yeah, I'm not feeling particularly hot. Are you? Um, That's what everyone seems to be talking about, and it really shows the passion we have here for our St. Louis Cardinals and wanting things to change. Now, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, folks. It's 819 in St. Louis. Dave Simons filling in at your service. Uh, we continue to talk a little Cardinals baseball, and then I promise we'll go into some other things. Although I think a lot of you would say, no, keep talking about this as depressing as it is. We're all, uh, or many of us, are big Cardinal fans. So I spent the first few minutes telling a little, uh, I guess, somewhat humorous, anecdotal, personal story about uh, Game 7 of the Cardinals and Twins back on um, Sunday, October 25th. 1987, my uh, small town, Kansas country girlfriend watching me just melt all my emotions away and uh, break down in in tears. And I'm just thinking uh, later on is I'm actually, uh, I got to add one more thing to that story. It just dawned on me what happened. I lived about mm, 40 minutes away. Because I was working in Wichita, and they they lived outside of that town. And even her parents were concerned. And they said, why don't you just stay here? You can stay out here on the couch in the living room. We'll get you some blankets. And, and I agreed. I'm like, yeah. This was at night. And I would be driving on a, some small country roads. And I just thought, yeah, yeah, let me do that. And I look back, and I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You're such a wimp, but that's how passionate some of us are with our sports teams. And in this time, in this town, obviously with the St. Louis Cardinals and the blues, that's how we feel about it. So anyway, in my lifetime, I went back, uh, I was born in 1962. And so we've got a 60 year track record now, 61 years, I guess. And um, I I wanted to remind myself, okay, what's the worst season in my lifetime? I talked about, how bad those seasons were like in the nineteen teens, 1903, But in the last sixty years. And um and I called it, I before I looked at it I I remember thinking, you know, that Vern rap era in the late seventies, and I remember seventy-eight particularly, um, when I was sixteen was 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 bad. And sure enough, um in my lifetime, that is but but that's the worst record, sixty-nine and ninety-three. For a winning percentage of 426, so see even even this year so far is worse than that because our winning percentage is 391. Still hopeful that we will turn things around to some degree, you know. Uh, but it's interesting in 1978 is we did not finish in last place in our division; we were fifth out of six teams. Underneath us, the New York Mets. At 66 and 96, so 30 games under 500 for a 407 winning percentage. By the way, who would have thought at that time in 1978, when we're lamenting the horrible play of our Cardinals and the New York Mets are doing the same thing, that just a few years later we would become rivals as two of the best teams in the National League? Isn't that interesting? And one more factoid for you. Um, oh, and by the way, 1978, when I was 16, I actually saw live Bob Forrest throw his no-hitter in April of 78, and I'm telling you, you can look this up. There were probably only about ten or 11,000 people in the stands, and I was down there with my brother and a, another friend. There were just the three of us down there. It was, you know, one of the first times we ever drove anywhere as we were getting our driver's licenses at the time, so we we had our freedom and went down there, and th- we, we witnessed this no-hitter, and my dad said after he picked us up, I can't believe, or no, he didn't pick us up. We saw him later. He goes, I can't believe that I missed that game. If you guys weren't 16 and able to drive, I would have been with you. So there you go. Uh, last place in the nation, last time that we finished in last place, or I'm sorry, the, the only time really in the 60 years that I've been on this earth where the Cardinals actually did finish in last place was in 1990. 70 and 92. Last place in the National League East. But they didn't have the worst record in the entire National League. That honor went to the Atlanta Braves as they were 65-97 and with the worst record. But, uh, yeah, they sort of turned things around right after that, didn't they? Amazing. So there you go. You can impress all your friends and uh, work colleagues at the water cooler tomorrow with all this uh, new information, unfortunately of comparing not the greatest teams the Cardinals have ever known, but uh, going back in time to some of the worst teams. All right, totally changing gears here. This is really fascinating stuff. I talked last week about this whole advent of AI, artificial intelligence. And then this catches my eye from, uh, when was this, on June 14th, so just yesterday, Wall Street Journal. More than 50 years after the group's final studio album, Paul McCartney says he has used artificial intelligence to create what he called the last Beatles record. Like, what? Quote, we just finished it up and it will be released this year, McCartney said in an interview with the BBC. So he goes on to say that he and Peter Jackson, of course, the great Hollywood director who directed, by the way, that 2021 uh, documentary called The Beatles Get Back. That was terrific. Uh, But between the two of them, they used A.I. technology to isolate the voice of John Lennon from an old demo tape. Here's another quote from McCartney. Um, Jackson was able to extricate John's voice from a ropey little bit of cassette where it had John's voice and a piano. We were able to take John's voice and make it pure through AI, and you were able to mix the record as you would normally do. This is fascinating to me. So McCartney did not reveal what the song was, but the BBC has gone ahead and and guessed. I don't know how they know any information to guess, but they did, and they believe it's from a 1978 Lennon song that never saw the light of day. So obviously this was well after the Beatles had already disbanded and the um, composition he called Lennon did called now and then. So pull a little bit from some old audio tape that Paul McCartney found. Now, see, here's the, that's the positive side of AI, isn't it? I want to be an optimist about this and I don't think you have to stretch too far to find some of the good things that are coming from AI and ChatGPT and all the potential. This is not some fad. This is not something that's going to go away. Folks, this is real and it is here to stay. And I believe, just my opinion here, this is the internet on steroids. The internet was like the modern day industrial revolution, but happened in a much uh, quicker way and transitioned the economy in a much faster way than obviously the industrial revolution ever did. But our entire world is different because of the internet. Most of it good, not all of it, most of it. Just all the facts that I gave you about the history of the cardinals, I would have never been able to come up with that for a show this quickly. So there's obviously a positive. I think there's a good there's a lot of positive with the AI with with AI as well, but there is a potential dark side. We know that. And it is scary. It's it's fearful. It's like, where are we going with this? And you start to think about all of these movies we've seen in the past. And I talked about this last week as well, like 2001 Space Odyssey. And iRobot with Will Smith back in 2004, where robots basically got their own personality. And then they started to converse with one another and they pushed back on humans. And it was like, you know, why do we need the humans around? They just start wars. They spread disease. They're kind of filthy creatures, as the Planet of the Apes folks would say. Filthy creatures? We'll just get rid of them, and our robotic lives will be better. Now, I know this is futuristic stuff, but is it? That's the scary part of this. Well, I just interviewed for my relatively new podcast that I started a couple of months ago, just simply called Simon Says uh, Podcast. And I interviewed this gentleman who is an expert in AI. He's on the front line, wicked smart. And I'm going to be releasing it tomorrow. In fact, it's an hour 15 interview. When we take a break here in about a minute or two, I'm going to come back and I'm going to play a snippet of the hour 15 long interview. And I think you'll really want to stick around for this because we start out talking about investment ideas. Okay. We know that people became very wealthy by investing in the proper type of internet related stocks twenty plus years ago. The uh, internet bubble crashed notwithstanding, but there was a lot of money made coming out of that. Well, what are some ideas? And we talk about that. But then I quickly turn and transition to the dark side that I was talking about, and I said, hey, just level with us here. Are our fears unfounded of someday robots taking over. Now, hopefully if that ever happens, I'm long gone. But is this something that could happen in 10 years? I don't know. So stick around. I'm going to take a break now. And when we come back, uh, I will be introducing this piece. And the guest is Brandon Fisher of 1904 Labs here in St. Louis. And I think you'll really be interested in hearing it. It's about 15 minutes long, and we'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. Stay with us.
0: We go where you go, 1120 a.m., 98.7 FM,
4: KMOX.com. All right, my friends, it's 833 in St. Louis, and without further ado, what you're about to hear is part of an interview I conducted last week with an, an AI chat GPT specialist, a guy who just blew me away with his knowledge because he's on the front line building this stuff. And I'll let you know later in the show how you can access this in a podcast since we're releasing it tomorrow. So you are actually hearing a portion of this even before it's officially released. Aren't you all lucky? So this is an interview uh, with Brandon Fisher. Director of Data Engineering and Decision Science with 1904 Labs. Yeah, I actually, in my profession as a certified financial planner and 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 looking at building investment models, I actually see some positive applications here. I, I really do. I won't dig too deep into that, but I want to stay on the investing side. Um, I'm not asking you for specific ideas. I'm not giving specific ideas. So we'll keep this at a 30,000-foot view. But is there anything that you would tell people who are, uh, looking at maybe helping to profit from this from mm-hmm. an investment standpoint. Are there some general areas of AI, chat GPT, all of this technological revolution? As we look back at the internet, we'll look at these kinds of things. Cloud computing is going to come out. Look at that cybersecurity. You might want to look at those types of companies. Let's fast forward to today. What are some of the exciting opportunities that you would tell someone about?
3: So, the history of the internet would tell us to look at the platforms that stand to make ad revenue off of these advancements in AI. Um, and I think Facebook, must, of like the major platforms, I think Facebook most recently had, had the announcement about this, where they are going to bring a lot of these AI capabilities to their marketing and advertising tools on across the meta platform of, of companies. And so that's exciting. Because now brands, small brands or big brands can use Adobe's new AI tools, which I think are powered by Google Bard. But now you can say, okay, I, I want to create a picture of this and this and this, and I want it to look like this style and it's boom, you've got ad creative that you can roll a Facebook ad with. And so I would look at I if I were an investor, I'd look at the big companies and what they're doing with AI to enhance their existing technologies. Apple made their big announcement this week at the Worldwide Developer Conference, where they've now got the Apple Vision, I think is what it's called. Really cool. Mm -hmm. It uses a ton of AI Mm -hmm. to produce that experience for you. They want you to think that you're looking through a clear lens. You're not. You're looking into screens. Anyone that looks at you from the outside, there are cameras that have taken a picture of your face, and so they're producing what your eyes would maybe look like. (laughs) That's crazy. But so... There's AI in all of this stuff. Um, and I'd and I'd focus on those big companies, the Apple, the Google, the Microsofts of the world, um, and keep an eye on Amazon, of course, um, yeah. what they're doing, and, and then follow them.
4: That's interesting because um, as we record this coming up in mid-June, mm-hmm. you look at the stock market and its performance this year, and a lot of hay has been made about this. The S&P 500, as we're recording this, is up a little bit more than 10% for the year. All of that gain has been led by seven stocks, and they're being called the Magnificent Seven, and they're all related in some way to AI. It is Microsoft and Apple and Amazon, even Tesla. That's one of the seven, yeah. but that basically is a tech company that makes oh, yeah. cars. Yep, right. The other 493 companies in the S&P have been irrelevant this year. Now, that can't go on forever. You do have to spread that out a, a, a little bit. But I like what you're saying because I, that's what I've been telling investors at the same time. Look, I know everyone wants to find the next Facebook, everyone wants to find the next new Apple that nobody knows about. Sorry, you'll never do that because you don't work in Silicon Valley and that's private equity and all this other startup money's coming into that. You'll you'll never be lucky enough to get on the ground floor, but you don't have to mm-hmm. because they're already existing. Apple is not the same company that Steve Jobs started, so you have to give Tim Cook and other people the credit for actually totally revamping the company. Google is not the same company as it was as it started out 30 years ago. Microsoft is not the Bill Gates company we know, so recognize that. Don't get caught up in, in what these companies have been in the past. Give the recognition to their management to say, we've got new technology, and you stick with the big boys these are not by recommendations but again just some advice to say you don't have to dig into the weeds to find some new startup that you've never heard of right that you're not going to get in anyway the big boys are, are leading now on the negative side is that is that crowding out do they just keep getting bigger it's like the banks the banks we they, we keep getting fewer banks and they're bigger and bigger is that potentially what could happen here in technology
3: uh potentially but I mean, one of the companies you listed is less than a decade old. Tesla built their entire company over the past few years. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's possible for disruptors to come in and challenge the the big boys. Yeah. Um, but what what Tesla did, which is maybe worth talking about in this discussion, mm-hmm. that I think is really fascinating, when you look at the other large auto manufacturers, as they've been building their cars and they've been adding technology to their cars, they've gone to multiple different vendors to build software for them. So they needed uh, an ECU, an engine control unit, you know, technology manual sensor that goes in the engine. Well, they allowed the company that builds that ECU to write the software so that it runs. And that software just has to integrate with everything else. But then as they've, you know, as they've built their entire car, they've got hundreds of these sensors throughout the car, if, if not you know thousands of them or whatever, how many different pieces of software were written by different companies in on different platforms to bring that together, whereas Tesla went in and said, we control all of the software in this car. No matter what, it's going to be written by us, it's going to be controlled and managed by us. And by having that vertical integration, they became a software company that applied their software to the automotive space. And so th- that is what I think is exciting and that's something that I think all of the major US automakers now are are trying to figure out. They're they're scrambling a little bit as they want to move towards electric vehicles, but now the software is almost more important than the electric motors and the battery packs that go in there because the whole car is technology and it all has to integrate and work seamlessly. And so they're reinventing their entire technology suite. Um,
4: I, yeah, first time I ever got into a Tesla, I, the first thing I thought is, I'm driving a computer. Yeah. It's a computer on four wheels. Mm -hmm. It it is, I don't own one, but I have friends who do, and it it is fascinating. So I appreciate your comments. All right. Pivot here. Okay. Um, I'm going to read a couple of things that I printed out. Um, one of them, AI poses extinction risk, say experts. This is really interesting in that you had a group of industry chiefs recently get together. They're experts. They've been involved in in AI, uh, chat GPT, and they issued a one-line statement. And I'll quote part of it, uh, that risks from AI should be, quote, a global priority. You know, these are risks they're talking about from the experts a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna stop there for a second. There are folks kind of on the front line who say, we just need to kind of watch this. And they're comparing the potential of a nuclear war with where we can be going with AI. And one more, the godfather of AI, a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Hinton, uh, has left Google. And he's going to spend the rest of his life warning about the technology that he kind of helped found. This is what people read Mm -hmm. and this is what concerns them. Are they wrong? Is there something there? You've talked about responsibility that we all have, but where are we going with this?
3: Yeah. So the alarmists, the, the individuals that you've talked about, they are speaking in response to AI that you and I have not seen. Mm. They they have seen something that's much more advanced than the chat GPTs of the world. And so that's what they're afraid of. I think they have every right to be alarmed. Now, whatever it is that they're afraid of or whatever future that they've seen, um, I don't think that... Average individuals necessarily need to be worried about it. They're doing everything right in that they're raising the alarm, they're throwing up the warning flag. They need to do this so that we can have protocols, procedures, guardrails in place so that whatever technology they're afraid of, whenever it does make it to the general population, we've been safeguarded to where it. It can't have the negative impacts. So, while everyone's afraid of this, this is part of the process of protecting us from the technologies that they that they have seen.
4: Now, I started the podcast in kind of a lighthearted way, talking about these movies like, yeah. you know, iRobot and 2001 Space Odyssey, but I do want to get your honest opinion, and that's all we have right now, are just opinions. We can't know 50 years from now what this thing's going to look like. But do you actually worry about the possibility that robots someday can start building their own robots and then they take on human qualities and then they actually can figure things out. Like we don't need humans anymore. Oh, and by the way, I can figure out the access code to the, to the nuclear codes that this particular country has. We're going to wipe. I, I'm being very dystopian. I admit this is all fantasy stuff, but is it not yeah. in the next five years, 10 years, hundred years. What are the possibilities here?
3: So th- there, um, the possibilities are, as you've described, that absolutely there's a future that we get to from the point we're at now where robots look at humans and say, you disagree, you can't reach common goals, you're not promoting the betterment of society, you're just bickering and fighting, therefore you are the problem, and I have a recourse to eliminate the problem, and I will. Um, in order for that future to arrive, this is not encouraging, but in order for that future to arrive, they no longer need to be dependent on us. Yeah. Uh, and so at this point, humans are the ones that produce energy, produce power, and that's what all of technology needs. So, um, the incentives are off right now for them to eliminate humanity, Mm -hmm. I guess is maybe the saving grace. (laughs) Um, but also consider it a, consider it a warning to all of humanity that I don't want this to be the case, but, If we are aware of why robots would take action against humanity, then we need to not give them that reality. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that we as a human race are the best thing this planet has going for it, and then robots would have no reason to eradicate us.
4: Yeah. And and it's also being talked about war, right? Where, hey, we don't have to worry about sending our men and women to the front lines anymore. It's already st- sort of happening yeah. with drones and all that. I mean, but, look
3: at the war in Ukraine. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. But, it, it, it you know, we just say, well, so some people fear that we'll have even more wars and more geographical disputes because we don't have to risk human life. You know, again, that gets very dystopian. Here's part of my personal issue, and I'm just speaking for myself as someone who's in their early 60s. One of the things that I've noticed over time, watching relatives get older, watching people I know get older, is the world does become a scarier place. It just does. I think that's part of the human condition. And that the core of that is a lack of understanding, a technological advance. We don't get it, therefore we fear it. And I've told my own kids, I don't want to be that guy. So if you hear your old man when he's 80 some years old going, oh, boy, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm close to death. And I hear that. I'm glad I'm not being born today. Yeah. And I don't want to be that guy. So I've told my kids, you have permission to call me out. So I, I'm, I'm wondering, Brandon, is that part of, of this that We have a concern. While we need to address it, that maybe it really is not as bad as we think, and it really stems from the fact that we don't understand it. And this is going to be ninety-nine percent good, and we can control the one percent that's bad. And we could come. We could have a future machine and go and look two hundred years from now and be amazed at how wonderful life is, and we've eradicated cancer and alzheimer's and we all get along um now i'm being you know (laughs) very utopian but i don't think we can discount that as a possibility either right
3: right so there's a little bit of a hubris problem uh, for people Uh, the assumption is when a new technology comes out i don't understand it therefore it must be a bad thing Mm. right well just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that no one does Mm -hmm. there are absolutely people in the world who understand this technology at a much deeper level than you or i or most people do and so the fact that they created it and then they released it meant they believe on some level that it's safe enough to expose to everybody um but there's that hubis problem where it's like well i don't understand it and i'm a really smart person therefore it it has to this guy must be crazy well no it's just you haven't learned Um, you don't need to be afraid of everything. Now, to the alarmists that you quoted earlier, like there are very smart people in the world that are raising these issues and you don't need to share in their fear because what they're raising alarms about is not the same thing, the same technology that you are exposed to. But you should be grateful that they are because their cries for help will lay the groundwork for the protection that society needs as this technology continues to advance.
0: News Radio KMOX, the home of the Cardinals.
4: Welcome back, everybody. We are back live in the KMOX studios. It's uh, 852 in St. Louis. Dave Simon's filling in, and I I hope you enjoyed that. That was about a 15-minute segment of an interview that I recorded last week with this AI specialist, Brandon Fisher, who's here in St. Louis at 1904 Labs. And one of the interesting things that uh, he talked about in the podcast, which is being released in full tomorrow, is the fact that he's one of the guys that helped develop the algorithms that feed back to us in kind of this loop where, let's say, you're on Amazon and you say, oh, I want to, you look at a book. You don't even buy the book. You just open it up. Or you're interested, you go to Vivid Seats or Ticketmaster, and, hey, I'm interested in seeing this rock band, this show. Like, oh, okay. And then over the next week, you're inundated, hey, have you thought about this concert? What? How did you know that? Or um, how about these books? Well, now we all know how it works, but when that was first happening, it it was mind-blowing wow, it's like the computer can read my mind. That's incredible. Well, this guy, Brandon Fisher, is one of the guys who helped develop that. He almost was apologetic. He's like, yep, sorry, I'm one of the guys. So if you're interested in listening to that uh, full podcast, the interview, it is an hour and 15. You got 15 minutes of it. It's not out yet. It will be released sometime tomorrow morning. Um, And we do have some fun little videos of, of, um, of a couple of movies in the past that show robots taking over, so you can obviously watch it on YouTube, but you can hear the audio portion as well on all the usual places like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you just need to type in Simon's says podcast uh, or something similar. Uh, and remember that Simon's with an S on the end, so it's not Simon says; it's Simon says uh, podcast. And hopefully, you'll be able to see that uh, coming up tomorrow. Plus, the other six that I've recorded over the last couple of months. I'm having a blast, by the way, doing this. It's just sort of a side hobby, and I get to explore all of these other topics, and you'll see that on there. You did hear him talk about some investment ideas, and um, and I agreed with him. We don't need to try to reinvent the wheel here and look at... Um, Uh, Yeah, look at this little small cap, relatively unknown company that's developing this in the AI. Sorry, there's there are no secrets. You're not going to be the one who discovered this publicly traded unknown company somewhere out in San Jose, California, that's associated with AI. That's not going to happen. But you don't need to. What we've noticed, too, are these big-name companies. One of them that we did not talk about in the podcast uh, is NVIDIA. And I'm sure if you are associated with the investing world at all or you just read some of these websites, you've probably heard a lot of talk about this Chip company, it was they basically started in the early 90s, 30 years ago, developing chips for the gaming industry. They were just this quirky little Silicon Valley based company that transitioned to A.I. And now that company's all the rage. By the way, that's not a buy recommendation. I personally don't own it. Uh, I have no plans to. I I think the valuations scare me off a little bit. My point is you don't have to try to go find the next new great company. There are a lot of the aforementioned names, I think, that will do that for you. We want to continue this theme a little bit about financial market-related topics because that is a big deal of what's been happening here. Holy cow, this stock market soaring. Is this a new bull market? And what about the Fed's decision yesterday? That was supposed to be somewhat negative for the stock and bond markets but they've been going crazy to the upside. Stay with us after the top of the hour news, weather, sports. We'll come back with more at your service.